You're listening to Half Stack Highlights, a blogcast dedicated to showcasing the latest in indie talent, business, and creative opportunities for the dreamer in you. We bring you intimate conversations with up-and-comers, entrepreneurs, and fellow dreamers alike, and we're based right here in Chicago. Hey everyone, it's Jen Lazan, Editor-in-Chief of HalfStackMag.com. I hope everyone's doing well and enjoying this latest season of Half Stack Highlights so far. Thank you for listening. In today's episode of Half Stack Highlights, I had the opportunity to speak with the founder of the brand Workin' Stiffs, Jonathan Bose. Workin' Stiffs is a menswear accessories brand that launched with the idea of a magnetic collar stay. It got a big break on the show The Big Idea eight years ago and has leveraged its opportunities so well that they are now in major retailers like Saks Fifth Avenue and Nordstrom. John is seriously a hilarious guy and had so much fun talking with him about his journey building a brand with his wife, what it was like going all in, the way he landed on reality TV, and so much more. Keep listening for the full interview. Jonathan, can you share a bit about yourself, your background, your journey, uh, and what went into launching work in this? What I tell everyone is I'm not a guy with like an MBA. I actually didn't go to college. I'm, I'm a high school graduate. And um, I've always been just very motivated. And I grew up from a family. My grandfather was a farmer. My, my father had a landscaping company, which I have three other brothers. I uh, actually have an identical twin and two brothers that are older than me. We all grew up in my father's business, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just working hard. And it kind of really installed the work ethic in, in all of us. Yeah. And as a teenager, I actually attended a technical institute uh, for cars, uh, auto body repair. Um, Mm -hmm. We're very artistic, and I just kind of fell in love with the fabrication of metal and, you know, like exotic paint jobs. So Mm -hmm. being like 18, 19 years old, I used to do a lot of work uh, from learning at the Tech Institute. Then I would do work at night and on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And then in my mid-20s, I became an insurance appraiser. (laughs) And and then I actually owned my own appraisal company in my, you know, a little later on which I sold, and then I became a general manager of two collision centers to inventing the magnetic collar stay, which has a utility patent. So you can kind of see how the dots connect, right? Yes, yes. No, that's awesome. It's like you have this working, you know, family background, but there's always been this tinge of, like, entrepreneurialism wherever you're going, whether it was your your family owning businesses, you launching out into these opportunities. So, yeah, everything is starting to kind of, like, connect based on your interests, the journey, yeah. and then where it's led you now. Yeah, that's what yeah, I always used to do, you know, as, a, as an, an insurance appraiser, you know, I was on the other side of things. So it was more, you know, white collar, you know, paper pushing, but I always mm-hmm. had a creative outlet and I taught myself on, you know, Photoshop and mm-hmm. uh, Adobe uh, InDesign, the Creative Suite, Illustrator, all that stuff. But the, when I came up with the idea of a, uh, a magnetic fastener to fasten down a men's collar mm-hmm. that literally happened in the in the mirror, and that was like truly the aha moment for me yeah. and uh and then it came you know trying to figure out how do you get this thing made into a, a prototype and how do you get it patented and you know packaging and all that stuff and at the time you know that that's that's the exciting part of it is when you're when you're in the beginnings of it trying to figure it out. So that's and, and then once we kind of I got past um, prototype prototype stage, understanding um, the need or want within the within you know just friends and family showing the product, 
um, that's kind of when we when I had a, a batch of them produced with the with the company, and my wife and I, within my my son was ten months old. We literally started mm-hmm. selling the product out of the back of our car, that's just awesome. from store to store. Yeah, that's so awesome, and it's and I that think was that's the, like the inspire. Yeah, that's the inspiration behind what you do. It's like you're this family guy, you're this young entrepreneur, you have this dream. You have this working spirit, and like you, you just said that, me and my wife, and my kid was 10 months old, and we're selling it out of the back of our car. <laughs> it's just yeah, the American dream. Yeah, I tell, I, I tell everyone, that was in 2006, not 1906. So, I mean, yeah. those, those, those stories are still out there. It was yeah, very grassroots, yeah, and, and everyone was very excited to be a part of the story. Now, it, I, I was a smart guy. I let my wife go in and, and do the sale. I stayed in the yeah. car with and <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yes. I'm going to do it. But, uh, yeah, we we went from one men's specialty store to the next and, and you know, started right here in Sarasota and then worked our way up through Tampa. And uh, it, within one day, we went to three stores and sold all three stores. Can you share more about this whole vision behind Working Steps? What's the, you know, Working Steps, what's the, the mission guiding at? Maybe tell me a little bit more about your product range. You mentioned the, the collar, the magnetic collar, which is obviously an ingenious idea. Um, and maybe even tell me about, like, the customers that you try to cater to. Yeah. You know, so at the beginning, I mean, it was just, you know, one product, right? So this idea yeah. of a magnetic collar stay and, uh, and you know, we were, we were fortunate enough to get a utility patent. But like I said, you know, we, we actually entered into the market early. The patent actually wasn't fully published uh, when wow. we went in, into the market, yeah, and that was kind of a, a you know, a no-no with the uh, lawyers. But I said, how am I going to pay you guys if I don't, you know, have some extra income? You know, I, my yeah. my son yeah. was a an infant. But um, at the beginning, it was it, you know, the mission was simple. It was like, you know, we're going to conquer evil callers worldwide. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, as I, I as I was thrown into the menswear industry. And you start looking around, and uh, you know, I, I was accepting at trade shows and going to stores. I could see these huge voids in the industry, yeah. uh, and everyone just followed suit. It was like robotic, and there was nothing. There was nothing fun in in the menswear industry. Uh, and this is ten years ago. I mean, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't too too far along. But I think in the, in the day and age of today, with technology and stuff, you know, it it was you know before Twitter and Facebook and all that. But, yeah. So the, the lack of the utilitarian products in the men's space, uh, especially 10 years ago, you know, motivated me to get other things designed. So I, I really, you know, penciled the paper, started having these ideas and kind of just putting the mission of changing from, you know, a magnetic collar state, changing the world to making innovative product that works, you know, just so that Workins just really is a, is a company that builds fashion and bridges, bridges like fashion and function together and brings it to men. So we our product range now goes from um you know the magnetic collar stay to all Italian calfskin leather wallets that are RFID blocked so it protects your identification digitally. Yeah, you have a yeah. a one hundred percent silicone doppel bag that so if anything explodes in the bag, stays in the bag, doesn't get all over your luggage. Wow. And then we also do like a microfiber pocket square that looks and feels like silk, but it yeah. um it actually cleans your eyewear and it cleans your tech wear. So it's just for the modern, you know, for like the modern gentleman, right? So, and, and guys really kind of like these these things that kind of double down, you know, the multi-use. So we try to cater to like, 
the aspirational men, you know, both blue and white collar, yeah. <laughs> who appreciate like style and design with a with functional twists. And it's pretty much that simple. Awesome. And I love that what you do is function meets fashion and you're you're looking at multiple uses for each of your products. Like you were talking about the, the pocket square. Yeah, you know, you need that to, to add that flair to your suit jacket, but then you could use it to clean off your, your cell phone or your glasses. And I think yeah. that's what's really unique with your product as well. It's like you guys are looking at it beyond face value and how it can be useful to a guy. Because I think when, when men shop, it's not just, oh, I want this to look good. You, you really look at the function, the functionality behind what you are purchasing and, and whether or not you're going to be able to use it for more than one thing or if it's going to last or if it's good quality. Um, it's interesting to see you know, go into the, the, the mind of a man when it comes to how you shop for your products. Yeah, and I think I think I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I think you're doing a pretty damn good job so far, though. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, what's funny is, you know, because I've done trunk shows and different things, and you really see that a majority of our buyers are women. Uh, guys will go like, oh, man, that is so cool. I want that. And then, and then they'll hesitate maybe because of price point. So their wife or girlfriend or mother or whoever, will, will, it's an intrusion, a female figure that will say, yeah. oh, I'm yep. going to get it for his birthday. I'm going to get it for Father's Day. I'm going to get it for yeah. Christmas. So the buyer, it's interesting to see the guys love the products, and usually the women are the ones that actually execute the, you know, the, the purchase. The purchase, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Um, <laughs> do you feel that you were prepared when you first launched and – Maybe touch on how you feel you've grown over the last 10 years as a business owner. Okay, yeah. I'm, so this is the funniest thing. Like, you know, as you get older, you get to look back, right? I guess that's one yeah. of the one of the benefits of getting older. Everything else <laughs> yeah. just, you know, sags. But um, <laughs> uh, I remember when I was growing up, it wasn't like I was going, I want to be an entrepreneur when I get older. Yeah. But, you know, looking back, I was that kid in, like, middle school. I was selling candy, right? I would sell Red Hots in the winter and Lemonheads in the spring. Yeah. So I had, like, I had, like, this marketing thing going on without knowing it was a thing. I had, like, this in, innate being of who I am, and it was very mm-hmm. entrepreneurial. But I never, I couldn't put a label on it, especially being young, younger. And I, I've only been comfortable in saying that I'm an entrepreneur with probably within the last 10 years. But as I look back through my journey, I've always been that guy. Like, and and nothing. I'm very aspirational and very optimistic. Mm-hmm. So when I put my my head to something, I go for it. Uh, I, I, I stress for me. Uh, I'm high tolerance for stress. Mm-hmm. I, I always look at the positive things, not the negative things. And if someone says no, I just say, Yeah, you said no, but uh, you know, you go on to the next guy. So that's yeah. how I was um, very, very young. I mean, I buy low and sell high. I mean, I was just, I was just doing things. <laughs> no, I'd, go to, yeah. I, I'd, go, I'd go to my parents. I'd go, that candy store has it. You know, they, they, it's on sale over there. Can you, can you bring me over there? Cause, I mean, I, didn't, I, I couldn't drive. But I've, I've, I've always done what I've enjoyed doing. And I believe that, you know, making money happens to be a byproduct, right? It's not yeah. – yeah, I don't go into anything going like, I'm going to make – I'm going to create a magnetic collar seat and I'm going to make millions of dollars. I mean, it's like yeah. you go at it at a genuine place and it, and then it evolves. Yeah. So I think I was, you know, kind of prepared. I mean, it, it's, it's been fun trying to figure it out and, and it's still fun trying to figure it out. I mean, as the company gets bigger, 
and as you know, we're 10 years in, yeah. um, you start, the decisions are more weighty. So you are, you know, I'm not knee-jerk reacting like maybe I used to. Um, yeah. But, you know, and, and the goal is to always try to get back into that rhythm where you're making quicker decisions. But, you know, you're trying yeah. to make more logical, especially especially as the landscape's changing. That's, that's the yeah. biggest issue. Oh, but, yeah, um, absolutely, with digital yeah, technology, I mean, with all of that. Yeah, and you're going to make mistakes, but it's, you know, how do you learn from those mistakes? How do you correct them through your journey? I mean, that that's – and then – and then the story to tell, right? So, yeah. you know, I didn't go to college, like I said. So anytime I make a major mistake, I say to Amy, who's my wife, I say, hey, put that in my college fund. And <laughs> right, now she's, right now she's like, uh, you could have went to Harvard. But um, <laughs> I, think, I think we are making less and less, you know, <laughs> mistakes. I, mean, I love it. Though. It's, it like, keeps it's you humble. Just like yeah, the beauty yeah. of having a wife uh, that's working t- alongside you. Uh, let me tell you, it, my wife, is truly uh, the backbone. I mean, like, yeah. she is, you know, behind this whole thing. She takes, you know, she, she doesn't come up front, you know, for, like, the spotlight, and she just keeps, you know, keeps helping me behind the scenes. And she's very well-grounded. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'll get tie in the sky, and I'll get very aspirational, and she'll tug on my, you know, on my pant leg and go, uh, uh, you know, you're floating a little too high. You know, you got to get grounded. Yeah. So, so- I know, you, like, I when I was doing some research on you guys, it looked like you did a stint on on um, Shark Tank, right? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. 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 Um, how, how did all of that come about when you were looking at, you know, ways to grow the brand? You're like, let's, let's just do this. Let's try it and see what comes <laughs> out of it. No, so, all right. So that's a story. So, I mean, everything <laughs> I have is a story. So... You got to go back. So 2006, we were really, you know, one foot in front of the other and, you know, making people aware on the ground level that this is a husband mm-hmm. and wife team. This wasn't a company yeah. coming up with a product. Yeah. Um, it took us about three years. So in 2009 is when when we met Nordstrom. And that's a whole mm-hmm. other backstory, but I'll, I'll try to just get straight to the short thing. But we were in Nordstrom in 2009. I literally trained, planed an automobile around this country, <laughs> going to Nordstrom stores just because of the culture of the of of Nordstrom is very similar to our culture as a as a as a people and a company. We're yeah. very customer service oriented. So Shark Tank had season one had, was already aired. I, I was actually yeah. on a show called The Big Idea with Donnie Deutsch. At, uh, yeah. at, in I think in '08 maybe. And what had happened was uh, uh, 2009 was all about Nordstrom. 2010 comes along. Uh, other stores like Saks and Neiman Marcus started taking notice of the product being at Nordstrom. Um, and in the meanwhile, we were trying to get into these stores. That, that's the other story I'll, I'll maybe get to tell you. Yeah. But what happened was Shark Tank saw the product at Nordstrom, and I got the phone call. And wow. it was kind of backwards on the way it would usually come to be because they were trying yeah. to, you know, they were, they were um, casting for season two. Mm-hmm. You got to think, you know, what 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 Shark Tank is today, you know, it was the begin beginnings back in season two of what it's going to be, what, how we see it today. Yeah. So it was really about having a product that's already in the marketplace that was catching fire, for them to kind of have uh, the opportunity for us to go on television. Now that's a process in itself. It, nothing was guaranteed. They're not. Yeah. You know, they yeah. they film a lot of entrepreneurs, and only a handful get selected for television. Yeah. And, you know, and it's good television. But yeah, they, they, that's how that actually organically, you know, kind of happened. Where they contacted me, 
I said on the phone, I was in New York actually going to my first meeting for Saks Fifth Avenue, and I was wow. in a cab. And I said to the casting director, I go, yeah, 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 I've heard of Shark Tank. Yeah, I'll have to get back with you. And we lost, you know, I hang up the phone and go, heck yes. I mean, what, what are you kidding me? Yes, obviously. But, you know, you got to, like, kind of, like, temper yourself down a little bit, especially when, yeah. like, I get very animated. So, yeah, so so it was, it was a very interesting, uh, I would never change a thing, but it, it was definitely an interesting uh, experience, the whole Shark Tank uh, experience. And, and you know, it, it, it it got a lot of people from being on air. It got a lot of people exposed to the brand, and it and yes. it did a phenomenal job getting uh, people into the Nordstrom stores in 2011. Because I filmed in 2010, and it showed it aired in March of 2011. Wow. So you're looking wow. five years ago. Yeah. Whoa, that's crazy. So then, how did you even go about you know those those bigger name brands? I feel like most small you know product makers. Um, they they get into this mentality of oh yeah I'll put you boutique I'll put you small stores but then they hear of like Nordstrom or Saks Fifth Avenue and that's like that's you know that's a big deal it's a scary uh, idea to go about doing something like that and most of the time they think like oh I can never get into there because I don't know anyone how did you yeah. like actually wiggle your way in so <laughs> wiggle that's good <laughs> yeah yeah I wiggled let me tell you. Uh, so yeah, interesting story on that. So we, Amy and I, literally our first year in business, and I, you know, I, I quit my day job. You know, when I, when we when we went uh, door to door, store to store, I literally quit my day job, which she was like, huh? And yeah, you know, we again we had a ten month old. Yeah, so for the first yeah. couple of years, it was laying the groundwork into into the specialty stores. You gotta understand, we we never sold a, a, a product, a tangible product to anyone before. So. It was figuring out, you know, price point and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, profit margins and all that yeah. stuff for the stores. And at the whole time we're going, we got to get into a major. We got to get into a major. So you're calling, you know, you're calling the buyers. You're doing anything you can to get their attention. And most of the buyers uh, were women uh, yeah. and are women, and they're buying for men's. Uh, so it's it's difficult explaining a magnetic collar stay at the time to women, and you'd go. Well, just just have your assistant try it. I mean, see a guy, and you know that sort of thing. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what, had, what, what had happened was it was kind of great that it didn't happen so quick for us because mm-hmm. when, we took two steps back. I'll never forget it because we 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 kept on getting the door slammed on our face and phone calls not answered back. And, you know, it's a typical for years or for a couple yeah. of years. And I said to Amy, I said, why don't we start shopping in these stores that we don't, you know, I never shopped in a specialty store, so that was a whole experience and journey, right? So yeah. I said, we've never really shopped at Nordstrom, nor could we afford it, or Neiman's, nor could we afford it. So let's go in. So we're in Florida, and I'm wearing, like, nice Cole Haan sandals, but, you know, like flip-flops. There's some shorts <laughs> and, like, a polo shirt. And what was here's what was interesting. You go into certain stores, and I'll probably name them nameless for right now. They're, they're, you know, yeah. They're customers now. But you'd go into these big department stores, and they wouldn't even give you the time of day. We'd yeah. walk onto the floor at Nordstrom, and they would say, hi, how how can I help you? Yeah. And that, yeah. So it was this big customer service thing. And I go, I said to Amy, I go, we're doing so well at the specialty stores because it's that personal touch. Yeah. Nordstrom's like a big, just a big specialty store. I said, we just need, a, we need to get in with Nordstrom. Everything else will fall into play if we get in with Nordstrom. So for an entire year, we focused on Nordstrom for one for an entire year, and there was a a buyer um, 
she was the national buyer for men's accessories. And it just fell on deaf ears, fell on deaf ears. And ironically enough, I did a project for a gentleman in Miami, mm-hmm. and he was he was doing a shirt line, and he goes, ah, oh, I find you're, you're the only guy to do like these crazy things with metal and collar stays, and I, and, mm-hmm. and I was told to talk to you, and I look him up on the internet, and I see that his his biggest customer is Nordstrom. I'm like, oh wow. my goodness, so I meet him. I, you know, I, I give him his, like, a little presentation for him, mm-hmm, more than mm-hmm. he expected. He was blown away. And he goes, yeah. what about, why, why, why aren't you in Nordstrom? I said, you tell me. <laughs> I said, so, so, so I said, I said, so-and-so is, oh, no, she's no longer the national sales buyer. They have regional buyers now. I said, when did that change? He goes, oh, that just changed not too long ago. He goes, let me make a phone call. He goes, your stuff is awesome. So he, he just makes one phone call, and that was that. So then we had a meeting set up with Nordstrom. And then when Nordstrom came in and seen the product and met me at a trade show a few yeah. months later, it just it snowballed very quickly. That's and so awesome. you know what Yeah, so I think I think from that there's a couple of a couple of learning lessons. Number one is you know, you need to understand truly who your customer is. Yeah. And then you need to go out you don't need to keep I was throwing spaghetti against the wall. But once you focus mm-hmm. on and you know and you know without a shadow of a doubt Here's my target. I know my product. People can say no to me, but I know this is right. Do yeah. one thing right. Do it well. Everything else starts following. Because That's awesome. me, yeah, me laying the groundwork in with those guys and them allowing me and being gracious enough to allow me to go into their stores, talk to their people on the floor, educate them about the product, educate them about my, my story, that really laid the groundwork on a major store level and then other buyers start looking at their competitors, and then then they give you the phone call because if you're yeah. if you're a hot item, they go, oh, we need that in our store. Yeah. So I'm very yes. even to yeah even to this day, I'm very I'm very loyal, and and Nordstrom always gets to see my first collection of this and that. I'm I'm very yeah. loyal to those guys, and give them the first crack, you know, and and they pass on things, you know, and, yeah. and some things they're right about and some things they're wrong about. Yeah. So, but, you know, it's all about building relationships along the way yeah. Yeah. and being yeah. genuine. Yeah. So, and that's pretty much it. I mean, and, you know, look, it, it sounds easy, right? Hey, guy's been yeah. in business for 10 years. I've had a relationship with Nordstrom for seven. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's, an, it's, a, it's like anything else. You know, it's a living, breathing organism that must yeah. be, uh, I call it a monster. And it must be said, right? You feed in the monster. And, yeah, um, yeah but it's, you know, look, it, at the end of the day, it's, it, it, when you do what you love, it's fun. Yep, it makes it's it not worth it. Love, yeah, correct, correct, you know. I think with, like, what you're saying with how you're developing those relationships, you don't always see that. Um, I feel like you as an entrepreneur, you're very – you're very hands-on, and the fact that you are making sure that you're connecting with the buyers, you're going in store, you're educating the actual sales associates, that means that you're ensuring that your product is being shown in the best light possible, and I think that's probably part of also what helps it grow and, and flourish so well in those situations. And I, and I also think, you know, being cutting to the chase and being, like, totally honest with yourself and with, with yeah. the product and having a strong belief system and you know, and it's got to be the right thing, and it's got you've got to be willing to, to uh, compromise and collaborate and partner. Yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. it's not all just easy 
compromising is the biggest thing and making sure that you understand because dealing with the majors, it's yeah. different than dealing with the specialty stores and yeah. the smaller stores. You know, it's just it, it's just a different animal. So you you mentioned like Nordstrom, they're very loyal to them. You show them like that first release, the newest collections and whatnot. So where do you draw that inspiration then when it comes to working on your product assortment? What's your design process like? Yeah, I wish I wish I I wish I had a one two three process. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, most of the stuff that that I come up with usually is when it's it's unexpected and it's at like a quiet time. You know, it's it's I keep a notebook around. Mm-hmm. You know, it's waking up at three o'clock in the morning with an idea. It's you know on a plane with my head against the window, not understanding why I'm not in first class yet, still in coach. <laughs> but I I, I I have upgraded to extra leg room, everyone. So that, that that's fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, you sit, you, sit, you, you sit there, and and that's like those quiet times where your brain starts kind of turning and turning. Now, if I go wanting to like look for something to get inspiration, I usually mm-hmm. gravitate towards, believe it or not, toys. So mm-hmm. I, I love kids' toys and and the simplicity of the toys and the packaging and that sort of thing. I really love package package design. So yeah. I kind of find things in that. Well, now I've got my right hand man that that works alongside of me that's been with us for five about five years. His background is in textiles, uh, neckwear, you know, thread count, shirts, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's kind of funny when we go on trips together. I'm like, ooh, look at this shiny ball, and Ken's like, oh, there's 343 thread count in the whole office. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's also good that we you know, I have someone that I can work. You know, we see things from two different angles. So, um, and, but I'm always constantly trying to have something innovative and, and think about things and, you know, how, how can we simplify this product? How can we make it better? How can we, you know, double down on this thing so that it's, it's, it's got multiple uses, but at the end of the day still has to fit within the men's wear category that we, we live and breathe in, which is the accessories. Yeah. And, and it kind of comes there, but there's no, there's no set like, I'm going to sit down from 8 to 5 on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And I'm going to do product <laughs> development. It just doesn't work. Yes. Yeah. I have my schedule set. No. Yeah, I have my schedule set. <laughs> I'm, I'm, the, I'm using Illustrator. I don't know why it's not coming to me right now. But, but that's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of how it's like you're, you're living and breathing your brand. You know your customer well enough that you kind of have a, an inkling into those needs. And, and being able to create on the fly is so important to ensure that you, you maintain that innovation, to ensure that you're up with the times. And, you know, like you said, you'll have successes. You might have some failures, but it's all a matter of trying to, you know, find what's best for your brand and, and doing what's best for your customer. Yeah, and I think I think the other the other kind of aspect of it, too, is, I, you know, I look at innovation not just in with the, within the product itself. Mm-hmm. So we really try to do unique things and uh, – for our customers and, yeah. and especially our wholesale customers, you know, for our stores, we, we try to think outside the box um, so that the company lives, breathes, and believes innovation. So they'll go, huh, that's never been done before. I've, I've never done business like that before. And we're like, and, and that's, you know, we don't do it just to do it. We do it to kind of ebb and flow because everyone's trying to figure it out. A lot of, especially the specialty, the men's specialty stores, you're, you're looking at an older generation. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm 41. So you're looking at guys that are older than me, and then you got guys that are younger than me, and I'm like in the middle. So you know, I try to obviously design things that you know someone like myself would would typically gravitate towards. 
Yeah. But on a, just on a business level, you, you kind of want to do business with with uh, with your stores in a different way because it keeps you on their radar too. And yeah. as you can tell, we're, we're not we're not a stuffy company. We're, we, no. we like to have fun. So yeah. it's like you know we'll, we'll sit there and and have you know people come to our trade show and they're like, hey, would you like an espresso? And they're like, well, I'm not, not going to buy anything. We're like, well, does that mean you can't have an espresso? I mean, uh. I <laughs> it's just like you know we, yeah. we don't try to sell. You know, it's like you yeah. just like you either like the product or you don't, and you either want to work with us or you don't. Hopefully you do. But yeah. at the end of the day, making the cash rank register go cha-ching, yeah. that's a bonus. Right. Yeah. I, I, everything yep. through the process should be fun, and then that that that's the exactly. payoff. Exactly. Yeah. You can just come hang out with me throughout the yeah. you know yeah. trade show event. You know, all the other guys are boring. Just come back. Yes. You don't want to buy anything. Exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. So you kind of mentioned, you know, you've been in the industry. I feel like ten years is a pretty pretty damn good day so far. Um, do you have any opinions on how? perhaps the industry has changed since you first started working in it? Do you feel that the whole digital innovation of the Internet and how e-commerce has come about, social media, do you think any of that has helped, hindered, you know, people looking to launch fashion-related brands? Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, when I, like I said before, when I started working with this, I mean, there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, there was no random people funding you within a crowd that you never met before. <laughs> I think I love it, yes. Yeah, these things never existed, right? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I think, I think, I think that those digital vehicles that we see today, you know, it does help the right product make it to market quicker. And, um, you know, so on that end, that type of technology or business models, it does help launch new ideas in that way. But on the yeah. flip side, it, this this has gotten people to want things now and expect instant gratification due to these innovations and in technology because they can get to more people quicker. But you know, I I believe you still have to put the time and effort in for long lasting success. So, you know, people have to understand that. You're not successful because you sold one million dollars worth of widgets in thirty days, and you're not a failure yeah. because you couldn't get profitable within six months. You know, yeah. so th- things like this take time, and especially yeah. if it's going to be sustainable. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's like the thing that people don't always get. Like you'll see people on Shark Tank, and you hear about these businesses, and they make it seem like as if it's an overnight success, but you're like, nope. We're going ten years in, or we've been doing yeah. this for five, seven <laughs> years, you know. Yeah, it's, and it's like ahead. those actors that you see on television. They're like an overnight success. They're like, yes, I'm a fifteen year overnight success. Yes, yes <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes, and they don't talk about that enough. I feel, and that's why I'm like, I always feel that it's important to highlight that whenever we're showcasing a, you know, an up and coming or a new brand that we haven't talked about before, because the reality is. Yeah. People have been busting their ass the last yeah. however many years to get to where they are. Yeah, and I think it's like you know, it's to get there. You know, number one, you got to get there, and then the bigger problem is you have to stay there, right? And I yeah. tell everyone because I've had people go, "How long does it take you to come up with an idea and to manufacture?" You know, my answer is always the same. It's like you know, it takes nine months to 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 have a baby come to. To full term, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. have to be born, right? <laughs> yeah. But it takes it takes a lifetime to raise that baby through adulthood, you know, successfully. So it, it it's it's really no different with product and a brand. It's like it's going to have a life cycle of its own. Now, look, there's anomalies in this world where 
people hit it, lightning hits, and it's great for them, and mm-hmm. stars align, and all this great stuff. But you know, working stiffs has literally been to this day. It's all owned by my wife and I. You know, we don't have any investors in the, in the company. Um, we've had talks in the past. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say we haven't had these discussions. Then we still continue yeah. to have these discussions as we were kind of expanding more into like a lifestyle type of brand instead of uh, product driven. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, with different people, just like people, people, they accelerate at different rates and they grow yeah. at different rates, you know, it's, and, and so, but I think, you know, if this, to say that we've been in business for 10 years was kind of, you know, we were really uh, in-store heavy. And now, yeah. you know, and I have some friends through the industry that I've met that the dot-comers, you know, they, they've gotten into the dot-com. They've made a lot of money selling yeah. on online only. And then they look at you and they go, well, how do you get, in, how do you get into stores? And then I yeah. look at them and go, how do you have such a big dot-com business? <laughs> yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's always, it's always, everyone's looking at each other's, you know, green grass going, yeah. how do you get there? And, yeah. you know, and sometimes you go, I don't even want to, you know, you get there and you go, why am I over you? you know? Yeah. So it's, yeah. Yeah. It's a, I think, you know, some of this stuff is when I, when I talk to people um, and even bigger brands and stuff, and I've, I've made friends in the industry, uh, it, there's the same kind of fears and there's the same kind of stories. And a lot of them don't say it out loud. I'm just the yeah. guy that says it out loud. So I don't, yeah. you know, I'm just like, yeah. I'd rather it help keeping people. it real. <laughs> well, yeah, because I think, you know, if anybody can kind of glean any, uh, any little nuggets, gold nuggets from the conversation and, and, and our experience and of going through the journey, you know, that's kind of what I want to do is help others, you know, kind of figure it out and maybe, yeah. maybe not make the same mistakes I, I've made, but you know, again, we're all, we're all inevitable. We're all human to make mistakes. And it's just yeah. going to kind of be how it is. What has been the hardest part then about growing the working steps brand? Are there any like key obstacles that can, that come to your mind that, you know, as you were growing, you had to overcome yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, it's fu- funny because I think this is kind of a common thread with all businesses, and I, you know, this is one of the things I'm just going to say. I think, <laughs> I think finding right the right people has always been the hardest part of growing yeah. working steps. I think, you know, I'll always say, oh, it's where I'm located. I'm in Florida. I should be in New York or California. <laughs> what am I doing in Florida? <laughs> Which could be you know, part of it. But, you know, it's finding the right people that have the same kind of set of goals that you have, mm-hmm. sense of character, you have, like, the work ethic. Yeah. Um, and those are the people, you know, you, you want surrounding you not only in your four walls of your business, but, you know, the support system outside your business, right? So for me, yeah. you know, I have my wife, I have my family. But, you know, you you definitely need that to find the same kind of chemistry within the company. And that's kind of been the hardest part for us. You know, obstacles, I mean, there's been many different obstacles over the years. Um, it, one of the biggest things I knew early on and, and uh, was cash flow, right? Yeah. Again, yeah. You know, I, wasn't, I wasn't like you with coming out with a degree. So I, I understood that, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden it's like, you know, a major comes along and you go, uh, how much is that PO? And you're excited about this PO because you're like, holy smokes, I can't believe yeah. you're, you know, this is the first PO and this is the size of it. But then you got to finance it, and then there's terms. Exactly. And, yeah. Yep. So I think you know, what I've learned th- that obstacle in itself is an ongoing obstacle where I've learned that you know you have to create a good relationship with a bank. You have to be prepared at all times with with your finances so that you're not you're not wasting time 
if you needed like an increase the line of credit or or any of those things, you got to have your ducks in a row pretty much. I would say all the time. I mean, I do that yeah. to this day, and it, and, it, and it's another aspect of the business that I necessarily don't love. Um, you know, I have a bookkeeper and that sort of thing, but you still, as a business owner, need to stay on top yeah. of that. But that's yeah. actually is what what help has helped us uh, is is really understanding the needs of the company financially yeah. to kind of keep propelling it forward. Because you know, you don't want to trip up in, in your supply chain mm-hmm. and then have no inventory. Then you can't. Then that's really a disaster. Yeah. Now, you know, we've come yeah. close to some of those things as we've grown, um, but I've been very fortunate enough to be able to kind of weather some some little storms. And I've had, I've got great relationships with my bank, and and that's what it, it's about. You know, it's like no, there's no hanky panky. My, my, I'm very transparent on all levels. Yeah. I think that helps. You know, it, it really because people can trust, you know, trust you. I mean, especially in the age of, you know, the housing market taking a crash yeah. many years ago. Yeah. And we were we were growing, you know, fifty yeah. percent a year growth, you know, just strong wow. growth. Yeah, you look around, you kind of feel guilty, and you're going, "Oh my goodness, people are losing jobs, people are losing yeah. homes," and um, but banks were tightening up, so yeah. you know, you you literally have to be you had to be self funded. Now some of that's loosened up, but it's not hundred percent. You know, banks are yeah. really, Mm-mm. you know, yeah, they're they're double checking, triple checking, quadruple checking things, yeah. making sure this is this eyes dotted and T's crossed, but. I think as far as uh, for us as an obstacle, that was kind of like the big one. I think, and for other you know entrepreneurs newly starting out, that's that's kind of no one wants to invest in anything that hasn't proven something. Yeah. So you got yeah. you've got to bootstrap it, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's important too. That like, yes, you are in technically in the business of designing products and. Obviously, the the part of your job that you probably enjoy the most is getting to be creative. But at the same time, and this is what I always tell my students too, like I work in a creative field. I work, I teach at art schools, and I always tell my students that yes, go pursue design, go pursue the creative side. That's what you're passionate about. But never forget that ultimately, you don't want to be a starving artist. You are in the business of selling your products and of selling your designs and selling your work. And understanding the financial aspect of it is so so important. And yeah, the fact I mean, that you I, went I, in with that—that's ultimately what helps you stay afloat. Yeah, I, I think I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's the biggest thing. Is that I do I I I can play both roles. I mean, I can get into fine. I, I can find the creativeness in finances and kind mm-hmm. of getting very you know, and that, those numbers can be fun to me. And I and I have a creative side as well. So I would gravitate more towards the creative side and. and and um, but you see, I, I have a niece, and she's uh, I think she's 19 now. So if she hears this. This will, this will be great. I'm saying, she's 19? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> she <laughs> she she does ceramics and and pottery. But I was even mm-hmm. explaining to her, there's a business side of it for these things, yeah. and you need to figure that out almost first in a way. You you can have all the talent in the world, but you can be a, like you said, a starving artist, and you need to understand how the how you're going to interplay with the stores and the customers, whether it's B2C or B2B, and what mm-hmm. are the margins there and how are you going to make this happen and what's the cost here? And what's, and it's all important because you're going to, you know, you can literally uh, be like a shooting star, you know, you can go up and you can fizzle out quick, you know. So yeah, exactly. it's all important. Speaking then outside of, you know, the finance side, going to the more creative side, um, can you share your thoughts on some trends that you're noticing in the menswear, men's accessories arena, and how you're trying to incorporate that into your upcoming collections? 
so we I've seen trends. We've we've done some trend spotting. Uh, I, I go overseas. I, I was in Europe last year, and the year before that, I was over in Japan because uh, Japan really kind of Tokyo. That whole culture intrigues me, and and the design aspect, uh, very simplistic. Um, yeah. So there's like these little trends you spot and kind of in the fashion world. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because the biggest the biggest trend that I'm seeing right now is this popularity of using, like, mobile phones to pay for things. Yeah. So I, it's like I've been watching a, a huge shift with, like, the comfortability level, you could say, for people that, like, hang their phone out the window to buy a non-fat mocha chocolate. <laughs> yes, yes. I, <laughs> and I'm going, boy, this is this is interesting. How do you capitalize on that one? So I think for us, you know, one of the things that I've been actually, you know, there's phone cases out there, but with our RFID-blocked wallets, uh, we're looking at phone cases that can yeah. uh, block the same kind of technology on, on the cell phones. Because I think you're going to start seeing, especially five years from now, maybe five to ten years from now, the guys that are that are in their 20s are going to be in their 30s, who's pretty much our core demographic. And, you know, are they going to be carrying a wallet anymore? I mean, everyone's mm-hmm. very comfortable. And, 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 and look, 41 years old, I'm doing the same thing. Here you go. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so, so we're kind of looking at that and going, okay, what can we do? with phone cases that haven't really been done before and actually look at it more as a uh, men's accessory item than a phone case. So we've got some kind of cool little um, ideas floating and kind of chalking them out on the, on the drawing board. But uh, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of for us, the core of it is, you know, guys love gadgety things. Guys love the the less things in their pockets, uh, streamlined, (laughs) simplistic, you know, so we kind of really, that's kind of the aspect that I go at it. And you kind of want to see things more on a global level and that kind yeah. of can transcend. Because for us, with working stiff, I mean, it's like our whole thing is like, eh, it doesn't matter if you're blue collar or white collar. Yeah. You know, you're you're our guys, right? We're all working stiff. We're working hard to aspire to something. And hopefully we can make it fun for you, you know, down your journey. And that's kind of okay. how we look at it. Finally. Where can our listeners learn more about you, about the brand, and, of course, purchase products? Ooh, it's plug time. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you can obviously go to workinstiff.com. So that's W-U-R-K-I-N-S-T-I-F-F-S.com. Um, we're sold in major department stores such as Nordstrom's and Neiman's and Saks. But you can also find us in your local men's specialty stores mm-hmm. uh, around the country. So, I mean, we're pretty much, you can find something of ours in almost every little store. We're in gift stores as well. Um, but you can go to our website, go to our store locator. You can actually find find a store in your backyard that, that you can find our products at. And if they don't have it, we have it on our .com. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode. If you want to learn more about Workin' Stiffs, check them out online at www.workinstiffs.com. You can find their latest product line there. You can connect with them on social media. And, of course, you can always make a purchase. While you're at it, make sure you check out halfstackmag.com. And, as always, you can follow us on social, all at halfstackmag. Thanks for your support.